You're listening to Monday Science Podcast, the show that brings you the latest in science, technology and health with your host, me, Dr. Bahija Rami Abraham. Hello, welcome back to Monday Science. Happy Monday, happy day. Um, I hope you are having a great start to the week or midweek or whenever you're listening to this episode. So it was World Diabetes Day a few days ago, and in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on diabetes. World Diabetes Day is a global campaign, and it's led by the International Diabetes Federation, uh, IDF. And uh, they focus particularly on diabetes mellitus, and it's held on the 14th of November every year. So each World Diabetes Day focuses on a theme that's related to type 2 diabetes. And this is because type 2 diabetes is largely preventable and it's a treatable disease uh, that is rapidly increasing uh, worldwide. Type 1 diabetes is not preventable, but can be managed with insulin. I'm going to go through the different types of diabetes um, in a few minutes. But interestingly, World Diabetes Day, which, as I mentioned before, is on the 14th of November, also marks the birthday of Frederick Bantin, who was a Canadian medical scientist, a physician. He was also a painter and a Nobel laureate, um, as he was one of the co-discoverers of insulin and um, identifying its therapeutic potential. I find him quite interesting because there's always this discussion about um, scientists that also have artistic talents. Um, and, uh, you know, that relationship between artists and scientists. And it's quite interesting that um, Frederick Banton, who I mentioned was um, a painter, and he become he became quite interested in painting later on in his in life. Um, he actually passed away in 1941. And I believe uh, he started getting into painting around like the 1920s. And at the time of his death, he was actually known as one of Canada's best amateur painters. Very, very interesting character. Um, okay, so back to diabetes. So diabetes is a what we call a non-communicable disease. Uh, a non-communicable disease is a non-infectious health condition that cannot be spread from person to person, so non-communicable. And it also can last for a long period of time. It's known as a chronic disease, and this can be as the disease itself can be as a result of genetic, uh, physiological, lifestyle, and environmental factors um, that just causes these types of diseases. So back to diabetes so common types of diabetes are type 1 type 2 and gestational diabetes type 2 uh, type 1 diabetes sorry is when the body doesn't make insulin and the immune system acts and destroys uh, these are the beta cells in the pancreas that make insulin and with type 1 diabetes it's usually diagnosed in children and young adult adults although it can appear at any age uh, people with type 1 diabetes need to take insulin daily to stay alive. Whereas with type 2 diabetes, this is where the body does not make or use insulin well. And type 2 diabetes traditionally used to be known as adult onset diabetes. But um, now, because with more more children are actually being diagnosed with um, type 2 diabetes, and unfortunately, this is due to a rise in childhood obesity. Um, as of now, there is no cure for type 2 diabetes, but they are finding that losing weight, eating well and exercising can help manage the disease. When diet and exercise aren't enough to um, help the patient manage their blood sugar levels or the diabetes, then this is where um, they need to explore uh, medication, so diabetic medication or um, insulin therapy. 
Um, and so lastly, in the common types, there's gestational diabetes, and this um, develops in women when they are pregnant. And most of the time, this diabetes, this gestational diabetes, can go away after the baby's born. However, uh, women who have had gestational diabetes have a greater chance of developing type 2 diabetes later on in life. And um, sometimes, actually in other cases, diabetes is actually diagnosed in patients or people uh, during pregnancy. And when that diagnosis is, is made, it's actually type 2 diabetes. Less common types of diabetes uh, include something called monogenic diabetes, and this is an inherited form of diabetes and cystic fibrosis related diabetes. So monogenic diabetes, and I hadn't heard of these um, less common forms, so, and it's quite uh, interesting to hear about these less common forms because obviously we don't hear about them as much. Um, so what I'm going to talk about, so monogenic diabetes, cystic fibrosis diabetes, and then there are other two, two other types, so that's type 3 and type 4 diabetes, which I also was able to find out about. So monogenic diabetes is a rare form of diabetes that results from a single gene mutation. Uh, so type 1 and type 2 diabetes are referred to as polygenic diabetes. And that's where they would have a uh, gene mutation in one or more genes. So with monogenic diabetes, this can either be inherited from one or both parents, or it can occur spontaneously. But both mutations uh, reduce the body's ability to naturally produce insulin. So that's whether it's the monogenic type 1 or type 2. And in most cases, monogenic diabetes is, um, as I mentioned already, it's genetically inherited, it's spontaneous, but it's also the, one of the rarest forms of diabetes. It can affect young people and causes the body to reduce, uh, produce less insulin when, than, than what's needed. And only in extremely rare circumstances uh, does monogenic diabetes cause severe insulin resistance. And because of the lack of research and education about monogenic diabetes, most cases are incorrectly diagnosed as type 2 diabetes. So there definitely needs to be more research in that area. Cystic fibrosis related uh, diabetes, which is referred to as CFRD, um, is a form of diabetes that occurs as a direct consequence of having cystic fibrosis. So a little bit about cystic fibrosis. So this is an inherited disorder that causes uh, severe damages to the lungs, digestive system and other organs in the body. Cystic fibrosis is caused by a genetic mutation of the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductor regulator, referred to as CFTR. And this gene, um, this gene causes the normal flow of salt and water throughout the body to be blocked. And when the CFTR um, protein, so cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator protein, which helps to maintain uh, the balance of salt and water on many surfaces in the body, such as the surface in the lung. And so when this protein is not working correctly, chloride, which is a component of uh, salt, becomes trapped in the cells. Without the proper movement of chloride, water cannot hydrate the cellular surface, so it can't hydrate the cells on the surface. And so this leads to mucus covering the cells to become very thick and sticky, 
which causes many of the symptoms that's associated with cystic fibrosis. So in cystic fibrosis, this affects the cells uh, that produce mucus, also sweat and digestive juices as well. And normally these secreted fluids are thin and slippery, but however, in cystic fibrosis, as I've mentioned, these secretions are very sticky and thick. And instead of acting as lubricants in the body, the secretions, uh, they plug up tubes, ducts and passageways, particularly in the lungs and the pancreas, which can cause problems in the body, such as raising or increasing the risk of um, lung infections, um, as well as preventing the pancreas from working properly and also digesting um, of food. And so inflammation and scarring of the pancreas can prevent the um, effective production of insulin, and this results in the cystic fibrosis-related diabetes. Cystic fibrosis-related uh, diabetes is clinically distinct and different from type 1 and type 2 di diabetes, but it does have features of both. So I mentioned before there are other types of diabetes which I also learned about, so type 3 and type 4. Type 3 diabetes is, is a proposed term to describe the interlinked association between type 1 and type 2 diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. The progression from diabetes to Alzheimer's disease is not properly understood. However, there are a number of hypotheses um, around uh, the cause uh, progression and the link between diabetes and Alzheimer's. So insulin resistance and other metabolic risk factors such as hyperglycemia, so hyperglycemia is high blood glucose, um, uh, caused by something called oxidative stress and lipid peroxidase are common processes thought to be contributors to the development of Alzheimer's disease in diabetics. Now, type 4 diabetes is very interesting. Um, is, so there have been calls from, it's an institute called the Salk Institute in America, um, and they've made this call for type 4 diabetes to be made as a new classification of diabetes. And this follows on from some research that they did at the institute where they found that diabetes or insulin resistance in older mice had a different cellular cause than diabetes that was caused by obesity. So if we go back to uh, type 2 diabetes, where we said that type 2 diabetes is often thought of as kind of like diabetes of lifestyle, let's, let's just say. Um, and so, um, as I mentioned earlier, that there's an increased risk, uh, increased cases, sorry, of childhood um, ch children um, having type 2 diabetes, and this is because of the rising case of childhood obesity. Um, and so you could, like, one of the, I guess one of the causes that they say of type 2 diabetes is obesity. So with the Salk Institute, what they have found um, is this different, another type of diabetes in older, uh, diabetes or insulin resistance in older mice that has a cellular cause, um, is, it has a different cellular cause than diabetes caused with obesity. So that's where that distinction is being made. So the Salk Institute proposed that type 4 diabetes is associated with older age rather than weight gain. So now if we move on to diabetes and infections. Now, diabetes increases um, a patient's susceptibility to infections. And this is because it's associated with um, reduced response of T cells. So the T cells are major components of the immune system, as well as uh, neutrophil function. So if you remember that neutrophils are a type of white blood cells and um, disorders of something called the humoral immunity. 
And the humoral immunity is an aspect of immunity that is mediated by macromolecules, such as proteins, such as insulin. So people with diabetes are more adversely affected when they get an infection, infection than somebody without the disease. Um, and this is because of the weakened immune system or immune defences in diabetes. Studies have also shown that um, those who have even just a small level of elevated blood sugar levels can also experience worse outcomes uh, with infections. So it's not just it's not just maybe somebody who's fully like diagnosed with having diabetes. It could just be with somebody who has a higher blood sugar level than uh, normal, and they could also experience worse outcomes with with infections. So people with diabetes tend to be also more um, at more risk of developing wounds that don't heal well, and there's a big uh, so a lot of research that goes into, um, you know, ways to help improve diabetic wounds, uh, wound healing. So the association between diabetes and infection is well known clinically, and it's been linked to a number of different pathways. So I've mentioned some of those already before. Um, so this includes the impaired immune responses with the increased blood glucose, so the hypoglycemic environment, as well as other potential um, abnormalities that's associated with diabetes, such as neuropathy and altered um, lipid metabolism. So infections in diabetes can trigger further complications, um, which I will talk about as it relates to uh, COVID-19. And I've been interested in the relationship between uh, diabetes and malaria, actually, and this is as part of um, my research with the Rimey Abraham group. Um, but today I am going to focus more so on diabetes and COVID-19. And so there have been a lot of studies this year that have highlighted the impact of COVID-19 in di diabetic patients, and not just you know, research studies, but also um, reports in the news as well, um, or different media outlets. So there's been a lot of discussion on the impact of the pandemic for um, patients with uh, diabetes and their ability to get their medication as well as testing strips, for example. But in today's episode, I'm going to focus on the clinical impact of COVID-19 in diabetic patients, uh, mainly highlighting key perspectives and findings from over the past few months, um, from June to a recent um, article in October. Um, and so in June, there was an article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, a really top uh, journal. And this was titled New Onset Diabetes in COVID-19. And what they found is that there appears to be a relationship between COVID-19 and diabetes. So on the one hand, diabetes is, appears to have been associated with an increase of severe COVID-19. But on the other hand, they discovered that there could be something called new onset diabetes. And um, there are severe complications of pre-existing diabetes that have been observed with patients, observed in patients with COVID-19. And so there's a hypothesis that COVID-19 may actually cause diabetes in patients who were not diabetic before getting the infection. And so there have been lots of re uh, questions that have been raised. So, for example, it's unclear if um, the alterations or the changes of glucose metabolism that occur with a sudden onset in severe COVID-19 persist or resolve when the COVID-19 infection clears. Um, then there's also the question of how frequent is this phenomenon of new onset diabetes? And is it and also this new onset diabetes, is it a classic type one, type two, or is it a completely new type of diabetes? 
Um, the other the other sort of question is in patients who already have a pre-existing or pre-existing diabetes, does COVID-19 change the underlying pathophysiology and the natural history of the disease? So all these questions really are asking, okay, what is the impact of COVID-19 in a person who didn't have diabetes before they contracted COVID-19 does and when they're seeing that there has been post-COVID-19 there's been evidence of the patient now having diabetes is that classed as type 1 type 2 diabetes or a completely new type of diabetes then the other thing is so for those who were already diagnosed with diabetes or you know had diabetes then they've contracted COVID-19 what then happens in those patients is the same, um, do you see the same progression of the disease as you see in somebody who doesn't, who hasn't had COVID or diabetic patient who hasn't had COVID-19, or do you see a completely different um, path and progression of the disease? All very interesting questions. So an international group of leading diabetes researchers have put together um, a project, and this is called COVID-Diab Project. I'm going to put a link um, in the episode description. And so with this project and, and these um, international group of leading diabetic or diabetes researchers, with this, this group, they've established a global registry of patients with COVID-19 related diabetes to address these issues that I highlighted earlier. And the goal of this registry, and I like the fact that it's international because that's very, very important. We need to one of the things that this, you know, this time COVID-19 has taught us is really the need for international and global efforts in um, all areas, really. And so the goal of the registry is to establish and understand uh, the new onset diabetes, which uh, for now has been defined by hypoglycemia. So that's high blood glucose, confirmed COVID-19, so confirmed infection, a negative history of diabetes prior to infection, and a history of a normal um, blood glucose level. So in September, uh, so now following on from that, so that was in June. So in September, there was a review that was published in the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. And this was titled COVID-19 in people with diabetes, understanding the reasons for worse outcomes. Um, and this sort of taps into, so by September, if you think about it, we've been, would have been, in the time of, well, it would have been in 2020 for nine months um, and uh, with varied understandings of the impact of COVID-19 in people in general, but in particular with people with underlying conditions. And by that time in September, there was a big, um, un well, there's more understanding that diabetes could be a recognised risk factor for severe COVID-19. So in this review, um, they highlighted, similar to what I've said, that at the start of the pandemic, initial reports suggested that the focus should mainly be on the negative effect of COVID that COVID-19 had on patients with type 2 diabetes. And then recent surveys uh, shown that individuals with type 1 diabetes were also at risk of severe COVID-19. And overall, the reason for this poor prognosis um, in people with diabetes appears to be multifactorial. So there are lots of different factors. And this includes the type of diabetes, patient demographics, which includes age, sex, ethnicity, 
comorbidity. So if the patient already had, let's say they also have diabetes, they have diabetes, but then they have these comorbidities. So this would could be hypertension, cardiovascular disease, obesity, anything that also contributed to um, like a pro-inflammatory or pro, pro-coagulative um, state. So if you remember a few episodes ago, I talked about how they, um, I'd identified that there might be an infl- inflammatory um, component to COVID-19. And then there've also been um, reports of the effect that COVID-19 infection has on people's ability to form clots. Um, so taking all of this into account, and then on top of that, the person might have diabetes, um, they found that this um, all of this could contribute to a risk of worst outcomes. One of the things that is not quite clear in the review is if when they're talking about type, the type of diabetes, if they are, from what I understand, they're mainly focusing on type one and type two, but as you can um, see from this episode, we've highlighted that, okay, yes, type one, type two, and gestational diabetes are common. They're the most common, but there are, you know, uh, the monogenic, the cystic fibrosis related type three and potentially type four diabetes, which also need to be considered as well. So when it comes to, so I'm going to focus more on type one and type two, because as that's how it relates to the review. And so what they said is that when it comes to treatment for both diabetes and COVID-19, but as we know, um, especially at the time of September, there wasn't like, a, there hasn't been a confirmed treatment for COVID-19 you know, we've we've gone on a journey <laughs> in 2020 of suggested treatment options um, ranging from repurposed anti-malarial medication, um, monoclonal antibodies, dexamethasone, but we haven't actually got anything licensed to treat COVID-19 as of yet. And I just want to take you back to discussions with Dr. Derek Gondongwe in episodes 9, 10 and 13, um, where we were talking about his work working within the NHS as a um, senior pharmacist and his experience working um, with the NHS during the COVID-19 pandemic, where he gave us more insight into um, just the challenges of trying to manage patients with uh, COVID-19. So when it comes to going back to the review, when it comes to treating a diabetic patient who has COVID-19, careful considerations need to be made to minimise the risk of adverse effects or drug interactions. Because, you know, COVID-19 might might represent, well, it, as we know, in most cases, it does represent a worsening factor for people with diabetes. And this is because it can cause um, a, metabolic complications And through a direct, what they found is that these complications is through a direct negative effect on the beta cell function. Remember, these are the cells in the pancreas that make insulin. And the effects on the um, beta cell function have been shown to cause diabetic ketoacidosis in individuals with diabetes. And so diabetic ketoacidosis, um, this happens when there is a severe lack, so it's when patients have a severe lack of insulin in the body. And this means that the body can't use sugar for energy. So instead it starts to use its fat stores, the body's fat stores. And when this happens, chemicals called ketones are released. And if this is left unchecked, uh, the ketones, they build up and it makes the blood become acidic. 
which is very, very serious if it's not treated. And so diabetic, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis can lead to a diabetic coma. And this is where the patient would pass out for a long period of time and unfortunately can result in death as well. So this is one of the reasons why the impact of um, a diabetic patient getting COVID-19 has actually resulted in, amongst all the other factors that I've mentioned, but this is actually what they're finding tends to happen. So the result from COVID-19 causing that negative effect on the beta cell function is high blood um, blood sugar um, at hospital admissions. And this is also, this can also happen for individuals with an unknown history of diabetes, as well as those who potentially have this new onset diabetes. Uh, lastly, more recently, there was an editorial article which was published in October, uh, not so long ago. And this was again in the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. Title is very interesting. So it's COVID-19 and Diabetes, a Co-Conspiracy. And um, this gives a good overview of COVID-19 and, and diabetes and the relationship over the last year. Um, but essentially what they were saying was that, I mean, the conclusion from that um editorial article but actually it's the conclusion it seems to be the common trend is that there needs to be a greater understanding of the bi-directional relationship between diabetes and COVID-19 because it is crucial to help protect and manage people with diabetes or those at a high risk of metabolic dysfunction and you know the rates of diabetes and non-communicable and other non-communicable diseases such as hypertension and cardiovascular related diseases are continuing, uh, continuing to increase worldwide. So it's extremely important to prioritise uh, prevention and control of these diseases. Thanks for joining us this week on the Monday Science Podcast. Make sure to visit our website. Uh, details are in the episode description where you can subscribe to make sure that you never miss the show. Uh, so catch up with you next week. Bye.